0: right, there's that sweet, sweet bell. I wonder if that's like a Paplovian bell to people now. You think they hear it and just start salivating for another fantastically brand spanking new episode of Historically High. I would like to think so. I I I hope hope so. so. I'd like to hope so. So uh, everybody settle down. This is going to be another fantastic teaching episode where the gentleman to my right, um, he is the... Nazi knowledge spreader. I forgot what we were going to lead in with. I the, don't like that. Uh, that's why I was having a tough time. Figuring yeah, out, I don't like that. Educator. No, I didn't okay. think of
1: that, that. I thought you were um, going to say the knowledge provider of nugs. Oh, something like yeah, that. When no I'm no. helping you think of it. Well, Nazi no.
0: knowledge provider is not bad.
1: I feel like it's that has. I feel like that can be taken to a negative way.
0: All right. Well,
1: um, how about this? How, how about uh, how about World War II enthusiast?
0: Okay, World War II enthusiast. It doesn't quite sound the same though. It's not the liberation. Like that's the point. Well this World War II enthusiast that's sitting next to me, we're going to go ahead and jump in his DeLorean today. And we're going to speed all the way back to pre-World War II as Professor Chris walks us through another fantastic episode from a time that we know so well but we only know so much about
1: because there's so many little... We know so well and we only know so much, so little about. So little about, yes.
0: there's, There's so many little intricate details and I'm so fucking excited just listening to you and I conversate about this over the week of studying... I, I have no idea what you're going to bring to me, but I know that it's going to be good because you've given me enough to be like, oh, shit, I can't wait
1: for this. This should surprise no one. They're like, oh, Chris is going to do a teaching episode. <laughs> and like, yeah, it's going to be World War II. I, hey, I'm, I'm a humble man. And I stick with what I know. Bet you can't figure out what
0: Professor Adams is going to be on the road to WrestleMania.
1: <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> At least we're consistent. I'm going to tell you a story about a man named Fritz. Von Erich? No. Oh. A man named Fritz Tote and Fritz Tote is almost in a way Hitler's secret weapon. No one really knows about him um I took a deep dive, and i've known about this for a while, but this was just found during a deep dive of I have this weird fascination with like the scale of everything that happened during World War two like mm-hmm. the guns, the bunkers the sh- just like how everything was just fucking huge and ratcheted up. And so I got down a rabbit hole. I was like, the Nazis had some huge fucking things, like the entire Atlantic wall, all the fortifications for cities, all of that. I'm like, who fucking like, I never thought about who built all this. Because, you know, they're military projects, but at the same time, they're on such a vast scale that cover all of Europe at one point. It's like, well, the military was fighting. So who was doing this shit? And this is when I met Fritz. (laughs) And so today I will be telling you about the organization taught Hitler's super secret weapon.
0: Coming in swimsuit season is right around the corner. What if I told you that getting mentally fit for swimsuit season is just as important as getting
1: physically fit? Well our friends over at Mindmen are here to help you approach your self-image a different way. Sometimes looking in the mirror can play tricks on your mind.
0: Instead of celebrating the journey, you're stuck self-criticizing the work in progress. Mindmen's products can help change the way you
1: attack your wellness goals. Now with microdosing, it can increase your self-awareness while lifting your mood and enhancing your productivity. Macrodosing can be transformative by helping your personal growth and making positive life changes while accepting the emotions that come along with self-improvement.
0: Right now, go to mindmendmushrooms.com and use the promo code HI, that's H-I-G-H, for 15% off the entire shop. The pre-measured capsules and
1: dosing guide make finding your desired affect and effect easy to achieve. With the warm weather coming up, you're going to want to pick up some of their lemonade mix, too. Nothing quenches your mental taste buds better than their simple, organic, tasty ingredients. That's M-I-N-D-M-E-N-D, mushrooms.com. Promo code HIGH again, H-I-G-H, for 15% off the entire shop. Mind Men microdoses, big results.
0: Yeah, and before we jump into TOT, um, before, before, before we get inside Fritz. Before we get inside Fritz. Uh, just a little reminder to like, rate, review, subscribe. Five stars. Send us emails. We love hearing from you guys. We love five stars. It helps us get found a lot better in Spotify's algorithm with the ratings. Spread and us to your friends. Yeah. Yeah. yeah t- tell your friends. Tell this your family. This is a good thing you can spread. Get, <laughs> get
1: Knowledge is a good,
0: good thing to spread. And <laughs> Just like herpes, if you have sex with somebody, let them know about it. If you listen to this and you like it, let them know about it.
1: All right. I thought so, that Nazi
0: knowledge spreader was going to hit a lot better than it did. It's okay. We're, we're all allowed. One, One take
1: show, baby. To... So Fritz, an organization taught. So organiz- organization taught was founded in 1933, right when the Nazis were coming to power, a little bit after, when the H-Man gets in charge. Now, Fritz had joined the Nazis back in 1922. He, was, he had served in World War I, and he was an engineer was he a member of the SS um i don't know if he did end up joining the schumpfenschufel or whatever the fuck I, however you pronounce it however pronounced i don't yeah schufel or whatever um i don't know if he joined the ss he was basically a member of the nazi party who was in hitler's inner circle basically was hitler's guy if anything needed to be built and i was kind of like so was he just you know he was the engineer of the Third Reich is what it was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm guessing being an early adopter of the Nazi ideology probably ingratiated him. Who's to say if he was the best? But, you know, you buddy up to Hitler and everything, and when he needs something built, you know who he's going to go to. Yeah. It, six degrees of Hitler,
0: you have to be a a very yes man to be that close to the man. No, no matter if you're going to be close to him, it's not just going to be, That's Hey, I'm he friends with you.
1: By. And this is going to explain a lot of that, even more so than when we were talking about some details of, you know, other that we didn't discuss during the Hitler episodes. Um, so the first project when Hitler and the Nazis end up coming to power, the Autobahn, it had been like kind of, uh, an idea that was first thought of and kicked around back in 1926. And they were basically like, well, we need to design, uh, you know, a fast highway, a super speed highway that we can get from Germany to Basel, Switzerland. And so I'm guessing because like there were banks and a lot of finances in Switzerland, it was probably due to economic reasons. Oh, that makes a ton of sense. And who's also going to have at that point have high speed cars. It's going to be rich people trying to get someplace.
0: I didn't know that that's where the Autobahn ended.
1: Well, and a ton of a ton of it gets built. Yeah. So he comes in. And he's named, so once the Nazis come to power, Fritz is basically named the inspector general of German roadways. So being buddies with Hitler has its perks. Oh, yeah. So part of this is Hitler's like, you're going to go and take over and build the Audubon. Does he at this point have his own private company? And so, then. So as an engineer, he's put in charge and he starts to build the groundwork of this company. Okay. It doesn't become organization Uh, Tote until essentially Hitler either provides a name or provides like permission, his blessing to create this organization. Um, But he's essentially because he's the guy, he has access to everything that the Nazi regime has. He can absorb companies if he needs to, anything like that. It was a a very fascist (laughs) way of (laughs) doing business. As as it happened back then (laughs) in that specific area of the world. So he's working on building the Autobahn. By 1934, he was almost at cabinet rank with Hitler. So basically within his inner cabinet. I know people know a lot about, like, how structure is done within, like, politicians and things like that. But you basically have, like, your cabinet is, like, your military advisors, your economic advisor, like, the people that you're primarily going to for anything and everything. Your secretaries. your And your advisors. Well... You're there are people that will not advise you unless Hitler provides it for them. like, yes, yeah. mind fear. Good, good. That sounds great.
0: But just yeah. like we have secretary general, secretary of the army, all that kind mm-hmm. of shit, you're
1: in this cabinet rank to where you're the one that's turned to for X project. But at this point, he's just the, you know, the inspector general German roadways. He builds himself up from being something that would be kind of innocuous. I mean, you know, you need roads and infrastructure, but at yeah. the same time, the Nazis are now in like military conquering mode at this point. So I think that's also why he gets kind of brought up to that, that status. So by 1938, he'd supervised in over 1900 miles of the autobahn had been built. So he's fucking cranking. And the autobahn was like, when did Germany host the Olympics? Cause it was during Hitler's, when Hitler was in power. Yeah, I want to say it was 42 or was it 38? It was it was 38, I think. It wouldn't have been 42 because then everyone was at war.
0: That's a good point. Yeah. So I
1: think it was in 38, maybe a little bit before. But 38 the auto- was Jesse Owens. But so. the Autobahn was like the crown jewel. Like, look at what we've done. Look at this. Like, look how fast you can ride on this. Look how, you know, look how how fancy we are, basically. This is
0: the bow tie on the turd. Exactly. I, I got to wonder, though,
1: back in that time,
0: how fast could cars really go on the That's Autobahn? That's what I'm saying.
1: But it can go as fast as you want. Yeah, <laughs> this road can handle the fastest cars. Isn't it pretty? How fast does your car go? Forty-five. It could definitely handle oh, forty-five. Definitely. But the autobahn is synonymous with the road in the world that doesn't have speed limits. Everyone knows what the autobahn is. Yeah. Is so that
0: where does that rank on shit that you'd like to do in your life? Drive on the autobahn. Mm-hmm. It would be up there
1: to say I've done it. To yeah. say that I. But then they would be like, how fast did you go? i be like, ah, like I'm 105. And then it scared me, and I backed off real quick.
0: Well, and at the same time, too, I don't know. They probably don't have Hyundais and shit like that over there. But would you want to rent a car in Germany? I'm assuming
1: it's a major highway, like regular. And I'm at this point, it's not a two-laner. So I'm sure they have... Multiple uh-huh. lanes where slower cars can drive.
0: But but I'm saying if you were to do it, would you be like, uh, I did it in
1: a if Volkswagen? If I'm going over there to do it, I'm getting a fucking supercar. You're, you're renting a supercar yes. to do it? or an Mark ass- it down for one of the episodes when we do the history of the Autobahn. Okay. So, well, where do you find these people to do this giant project? Well, by 1935, they'd already started, and I don't think we've really discussed this part, they started making conscription for public service a thing that you had to do in Germany. So really? All males, 18 to 25, had to perform six months of state service. And he was in charge of, like, being provided that. I guess
0: it sounds weird, but at the same time, places like South Korea mandate military.
1: They do, but that's not you. The thing about, you know, the Nazi regime is the atrocities committed against other people. Yeah. You're like, oh, you were also treating your own people like shit, but yet still they somehow believed in you. Like, that's how crazy it is to think about that. And it was probably also because it was six months. It was probably like, oh, by the way, now that you're done with your six months of public service, why don't you just move into the military? Mm -hmm. Let's just go ahead and start doing that. So in 38, Organization Tote is kind of officially born. And that kind of coincides with the shift from the Audubon. And Hitler is like, enough with the roads. Let's start building something, you know, military shit. So his first project is the Siegfried Line. So you have the Maginot Line, which is the giant fortifications across the border of France mm-hmm. that's supposed to stop any type of invasion. All the tank traps, the gun emplacements, all that kind of stuff.
0: The thing that works super well during World War II.
1: Yes. Well, <laughs> Hitler was like, I like their wall. Let oh. me build one of my own. So the Siegfried Line is basically the defensive fortifications after the Germans had gone and taken over like the Rhineland and the Low Countries. Mm-hmm. They built the Siegfried Line to protect them from invasion from the West.
0: Was this before or after the Maginot? After?
1: After. The Maginot yeah, okay. had been it was built after, after it World was, okay. War I, yeah. I believe. They were like, you know what? We're not letting the Germans do this shit again. We're <laughs> building a fucking defense. So basically Hitler, you know, during the entire time in his rise to power, who does Hitler not like that he notes many times and also in Mein Kampf? Australians? I thought it was communist. Oh, okay. Commun- okay. Austria. So he yeah, already Austria. has focus. He's like, I'm invading the East. And this is a time when him and Stalin are supposed to be talking buddy, buddy. So he's like, I need you to build the Siegfried line because once I start invading into Russia, I don't need the pesky French or any of the Western people interfering. So we need some defense here. So it's 400 miles. This stretches from like, like the Net- Luxembourg and everything up on the coast there. And all the way down the border. Legit wall. It, so basically what it was made of, not like a wall is in like the Berlin Wall, Great Wall of China, because yeah. that's just something you could punch through and then leave mm-hmm. it. it. was a series of like bunkers, fortifications, tank traps, used natural terrain for like forests where they couldn't okay. go. And essentially he was assigned 500,000 men to be able to build this thing.
0: If you're building something, you said it's 400 miles long?
1: Yeah. That, you're going to need a lot of people. You are. But within four months... 10,000 bunkers had been built. So you're already putting all of these resources for gun emplacements and everything over on this Western side. I mean, that's how much you're already building up and you're trusting this as the company to go ahead. Like, I don't know who's coming up with this because it doesn't end up being super effective when the Allies finally get to it and need to get across Mm -hmm. it. And that's going to kind of be the play with a lot of these projects they do is Hitler has a big like, a lot of input on this. He's not like, hey, you guys are all the experts on fortifications. You guys go figure out, do testing, find out what the best fortifications are, what, how many of them we need and where they need to be strategically placed. Hitler would sit there at night and draw bunkers. And then he would have them come in. I'm not fucking with you on this. He would draw bunkers and gun emplacements. He would then have his assistants come in. He'd be like, this one looks good. And send it to the fucking tote and they would implement that into building the bunkers. There was no oversight on a lot of these. If Hitler drew it and it, they were just like, I guess this looks good. And he'd be like, we need this many of these in this place. And no one would be like, that's, that's insane. That doesn't work. Many times, Erwin Rommel and a couple other, not many times, I guess, because they wouldn't be alive. <laughs> but like generals, after the war and they were like talking about yeah. t- 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 my time with Hitler. They were like, when we were providing, we did inspections of this, of what he had planned to do. We were like, is this, is this serious? Like, this is not going to be able to do anything. Yeah. But because it came from the fear, no one was going to say shit about it.
0: Well, you probably kept a copy pretty close at hand of Hitler's crown drawings that he had done to show them. Yeah, no, this is, here's your blueprints. This is what your boy came up with. We just dug a bunch of holes.
1: Yeah. He would go out and inspect him, though. So if yeah. they didn't match his drugs, he's like, why does it not look like the picture? Yeah. Uh,
0: I don't know if you know this. This is just weird something that my mind works, and I don't really know if this is like it was with other wars. Where was
1: the funding for all this stuff coming from? Do you know? It was coming from... So they had had kind of an economic upturn. I'm trying to remember what it actually... What caused it. Did the Nazis have taxes? No. Oh, okay. That's what it was. Sorry. So what had happened is because they were still feeling the effects of the depression. Yeah. That's how they could get all of this labor. They were paying them to some degree in some circumstances, but it was so little, but they didn't have any other options. So they had all of this manpower. They had raw materials that they could use within Germany for building concrete and steel and do all that kind of stuff. But basically people even looked at it like Hitler's putting us back to work where we weren't earning anything. Now we're at least earning something. So these big projects that he would announce that are being built again, this is at a time. Remember the whole reason why he got into power is he's like, I want to make Germany strong again. Mm -hmm. So he's like, let's build a big fucking defensive wall. And everyone's like, fuck yeah. And their propaganda that they would film, they would show only like the biggest fortifications or the place that had the best defense and show it back in propaganda videos. And everyone would be like, Oh my God, like we're so powerful. So funding from this was probably just you do this and I'm not gonna pay you. Or there, there we'll was take still, over it was, your there company. was still funding that they were getting. I mean they were spending government money ton, like millions of Reichsmarks and on. So this. what I don't
0: understand though is where are those Reichsmarks coming? Maybe
1: from? you're printing your own money, man. I don't uh, know. Okay.
0: So this is probably why at this inflation point, was Reichsmarks.
1: It's now the official new German form of money.
0: And this is probably why inflation goes crazy for them for so long I'm guessing
1: probably had something to do with it. They were just printing money. So, I mean, the majority of it was, like, tank traps. They called them dragon's teeth. They're basically these, like, big concrete, like, two-foot-high, like, pyramid-type pillars. But they were sunken into the ground. There was, like, fields of them to where they couldn't, you know, tanks would tip over Mm -hmm. and everything. Um, I didn't realize this when, like, thinking about this, but you view it just like when someone says, like, the line or whatever you just imagine it like a line with like some defenses and everything that's supposed to keep them from getting, you know, 50 yards. And then if they get past that, it's like, Oh, well, well now we're free. Now we can just go. So the way that these were designed, and I don't know why this occurred to me. So basically they would have these tank traps to strip the troops and like, uh, forces of their armor and their protection. They would keep them moving forward. But the only people that could move forward through those would be like infantry and everything. So then they would have like tons of barbed wire obstacles that could be taken down, but to keep moving, it f- then funneled them even more. Then you would have these huge, there are so many fucking mines, dude, planted by these companies and during like these defensive fortifications. Like, I'm surprised that they're not, and I'm sure this happens all the time, but people stepping on old, undetonated mines and dying in, yeah, in those countries. I, that was probably a pretty big deal after the war. There's for no a way while. they could have got them all. The numbers are fucking like unbelievable. So they would have minefields then that would then funnel troops into then strong points where there were larger defensive fortifications from the Germans. So it was like a line, but at the same time, it was meant to like direct troops. So there mm-hmm. was like, it wasn't just a line being like, well, if we get over that, we're home free. It, it diverted you into where like the kill zones would be
0: and it kind of just broke down your defenses to be able to do anything once it you kept got stripping
1: there. you of equipment yeah. that you could use and by then you were just guys on foot with the rifles you had in your hands, walking into machine gun nest and fucking artillery and stuff
0: this is home alone when marv's walking up the tarred steps and yes. he loses his shoes it's evil home loses, alone it's, it's his, his evil
1: hitler home alone <laughs> he loses his socks and then he steps on the nail okay so apparently hitler's impressed hey Fritz, fucking awesome job on the Siegfried Line. I saw the home movies. It looks fantastic. We are protected. Guess what? 1940 rolls around and Fritz is named the Reich Minister of Armaments and Munitions. Not to
0: interrupt again, um, did the line ever, did the, what was it called? The Fritz?
1: Uh, the, The Fritz Line, the Siegfried Line. The Siegfried Line. Did it ever see action? Yes, so it didn't see action until the Allies had invaded and pushed in, because remember, okay. at this point, yeah. it was just to protect them from being invaded once they started doing their shit to start the war in Poland mm-hmm. and all that area. They just wanted defenses so France couldn't come in. They didn't even need it, because France was just like, oh, we see what you're doing over there, but, Britain, are you going to do anything? They're like, just tell them to stop doing it. Yeah, Oh. okay. Please stop doing that. So this
0: was built, in theory, for protection as they invaded, but it was used
1: as defense when they were on the run. Correct. Okay, gotcha. So, he's, in 1940, he's named Reich Minister of Armaments, Munitions. So, this is huge. This is basically the guy that's responsible for the entire wartime economy of Germany during World War II. Damn. So, his organization is hired again because Hitler's got plans to go ahead and invade Russia, Operation Barbarossa. Hitler has this thing where he thinks he should be leading at least kind of from the front. Crazy fact that I didn't realize he did not spend that much time in Berlin during world war two. And it wasn't a time at the Berghof or whatever his place down in the Alps was the Eagles nest or whatever. Eagle's nest, never the uh, Kleinhof, I can't remember what it was called, but it was in purchase garden and he did not spend very much time there. That was like a vacation spot. Not as much time as you would think in Berlin. There's a place that he spends, over 800 days in. In this place, have you ever heard of the Wolf Slayer? It sounds familiar, but I don't remember. So, late 1940, construction begins on the Eastern Front Headquarters. It's in East Prussia. To give you an idea of where that is, if you're looking at Germany, East Prussia is going to kind of be... Remember where they um, Germany was split up? And they wanted to take over that stretch where Poland had the stretch to have a port city...
0: Oh, yeah. And
1: East Prussia was on the other side.
0: Okay. Ah, oh, fuck, what was And that? then
1: they took over all that area because they're like, we're just connecting, and they use the excuse, we're just connecting Germany because uh-huh. there's German citizens over here when they were taking over Poland. So Hitler decides, because this is Nazi-occupied area and it's, you know, it's relatively safer, this is where he's going to build the Eastern Front headquarters. Now, he had built one, and this is after the invasion of France. He had built one, called the Falsen Nest, which was like the Falcon's Nest or something over kind of in Western Germany. And that's where he kind of ran the Blitzkrieg from. He wanted to be closer because at this time, you got to remember communication, getting back and forth to Berlin and everything. It's still going to be slower than he likes. Mm -hmm. And so at this point, he's like, no, I'm going to be up kind of closer to the front. So in case I
0: have to send them a message, it's only going to take one day. Remember, everything went
1: through him. Yeah. Like he had this thing that he didn't trust anyone else and that all directives had to be issued through him. So same thing on the Eastern front. I need to be as close to the front as possible so I can make sure I'm in control of everything. I don't trust my fucking generals. What would they know? They're only the people that have studied war their entire lives. They're not the leader of Germany. I'm the leader of Germany. I'm the leader of Germany. I was a fucking corporal or whatever it was in World War II or in World War I. So... He builds this, he has um, Fritz basically start construction on what's called, he names it himself because he's the wolf, the wolf's slayer, and only accessible by a single railway or a small airstrip. This thing was out in the middle of the woods, outside of this town called, well, shit, I thought I'd written it down. I'll find it.
0: Small garden?
1: yeah, I can't remember. I'll get to it in a second. So this thing is constructed as basically a fortress that has to be hidden in the trees. It's made up of like three different rings of defense and the outer ring essentially is just like manned by troops and watchtowers and everything. As it goes in, you get more of like in the second ring, you get more of like the barracks for the troops. All of his cabinet members also have places here. They designed these crazy fucking bunkers. And there's like this weird jockeying for position on who gets to build their bunker closer to the fear bunker. Of course, by all of like, the you know, Goebbels and goring and everything. So they get to work on this. It's such a big project that they have to tell the people in the town that's like 25 miles away that they're putting in a new concrete plant. There's like 50, <laughs> oh there's 50,000 workers that are starting to build this thing. And basically, initially, like when he had the false nest over in France, he built like a bunker that was more sunk into the ground Because this was built like in the middle of a swamp for defensive purposes. They were like, Fritz is like, well, we just have to build the bunkers on top of the ground. Surrounding this place was 54,000 mines. So he ends up getting there. I think the construction was complete June 21st of 1941. So pretty six months to build this thing. He ends up arriving like three days later. Two days after Operation Barbarossa, the invasion of Russia starts. So he's already out there. He launches the operation. He takes his his armored train. Was fucking nuts. I'm going to get to that here in just a second. What was the purpose of all the defense? He was so paranoid about defense that when they were building it, it was right underneath somehow. It was right underneath the commercial flight path from like Moscow to Berlin. And so a plane would fly over during construction, no one even noticed it, but when you look at it from the the top, they had stretched nets and planted fake trees and stuff on the roofs of these giant bunkers to where from the top, you can't tell it was an unbroken forest. It was this huge fucking complex
0: so and this was all just born out of paranoia like they weren't close enough to where the line was of fighting.
1: No, the, the, at this point, Barbarossa is going on. They're just yeah. remember they're pushing the Russians all the way back to like Berlin. So they didn't really need any of this. This was just Hitler's grand he idea. He thought for protection. That the Allies knew where he was at all times. He thought that they were going to bomb him. So I told you he spent over eight hundred days at this place. It was the longest at any of any one place during the entire war. It which is crazy. You shit. Think, <laughs> well, and here's the thing about this place. When I start telling you about his bunker and where he was, it's like he was fucking nuts as far as like paranoia goes. So he spends time there. He's able to kind of travel back. He goes to, you know, the Berchesgar garden the over Salzburg sometimes for like vacations and summers. Because, again, you know, wars have breaks. Yeah. So when the winter comes in, they're like, we can't do anything. So he's like, I'm going to head out. You guys make sure everything stays good here. So while he's gone one of these times, he gets a little more paranoid because all of a sudden the war might not be going as great as it is. Um, at this point in 43, late 43, America has joined the war after the little Pearl Harbor incident. Yeah. And he knows that invasion is going to be coming from the Western allies you know, sooner rather than later. So they upgrade his little fortress there. And his bunker was surrounded, the room in it, was surrounded by 23 feet of concrete on all sides (laughs) like steel reinforced concrete oh my god it was a 200 foot long by 120 foot wide structure it was fucking enormous his living quarters inside were nine by 11 feet that's how much room he had dedicated to just the fucking concrete and sand to fortify this He fortified a prison cell the final stage of this construction of the Wolf's Lair, when they were upgrading all this kind of stuff, used enough concrete to build the Empire State Building three and a half times. I,
0: I'm i shocked that he didn't walk around in a suit of armor at all times, man. That's uh, the amount of construction. They put in a new fucking concrete plant, which I'm sure they use for other
1: things. No, no, no. That was the. the oh, ruse. that was the sole purpose. That was the ruse. To explain why it, there was a ton of Germans oh. out there because they had to come back and forth to the town. They would have to split the railway coming into the town for Hitler's train to go. So, I mean, they had to like, you know, like, hey, don't come look out here. It's just a cement plant. We don't want to have to kill everyone that sees this place.
0: But did they build an actual cement plant to make it easier to pour all the cement for the wolf They would have
1: to have something like that for the infrastructure and everything, but I don't know if it was a full-on plant. It sounds like it would fucking require it, though.
0: Well, that's what I'm talking about. Like, that's, that's how far that they went, that he was starting new infrastructure closer just so he could build such a massive structure that
1: he didn't even spend his last days in. Well, and this just goes to show you how much how many re like you look at it and like, how did like, how are they running out of resources? I know it was fighting a war of attrition against, <laughs> you know, the Russians and everything. I know there was pressure from the Western allies, but like the Nazis started beating themselves by stretching themselves too thin to where they didn't have the resources. And then you find out that like, just for Hitler's personal stuff, how many of these resources he's allocating to just like his own protection. He had a railway. Another um, one of the top constructions was, he traveled by armored train a lot during the kind of early stages when they were taken over like Poland. He was traveling around. So the train was, of course, reinforced. It was basically just, you know, had guns on each side. Uh, his car cart was the one in the middle and everything. And to he was paranoid that the allies were going to try to bomb him while he was traveling in his train. I don't know what the thought process behind this was. Like if he thought that the allies were going to bomb him in a very specific place or time. He builds this headquarters that he could drive his train into I this in this word. place called Poland. So it was built in the summer of 1940. So while the Wolf Slayer is being created, he's like, well, I got to be traveling around and I got to have a headquarters for this. This thing was 1300 feet long, 27 feet wide, 32 feet high, and the walls were two to three meters thick. So two is six foot, seven inches. So three would be almost what, 13 feet 12 and then some inches added on to it. Yeah. It took a year to complete. And it had to require guard stations, fortifications, barracks, all that kind of stuff. So there were soldiers having to man this thing. He used it one fucking time. (laughs) For like a two day period. And he used it to meet Mussolini to talk about the invasion of Russia. That was fucking it. Their trains met there. His train was inside there. He didn't come out of his train car out of the bunker. He made Mussolini, of course, come meet him in his train car. The resources that were poured into that thing and he used it one fucking time. Like it's it's fucking crazy, just like the waste, but like also just like his paranoia.
0: Well, and you see it is probably like once he got it done and he went and visited, he's like, oh, shit. This is what we built, and they're like, "Yeah, dude, this is exactly what you said that you wanted. This can withstand a shelling." He's like, "But I still have to go into it, and they can just bomb right at the beginning. So if I go in and they bomb the railway leaving, I'm not going to be able to get out." And the guys, like, "Yeah, dude, we told you this wasn't going to work. This wasn't very smart." He's like, "Ugh, I know you guys built this, and I
1: don't want to waste it. So I'm I gonna don't sh- like it. Yeah, He's I'm like, gonna. Show I don't up. like it." Mm-mm. <laughs> I didn't think it was gonna look like this. Uh-huh. We went off your drawings. I didn't see it like this in my head.
0: Yeah, so he turned his train around. He wasted all the time, all the money, and all the resources just to
1: second guess his own idea. So, what are you gonna do? You're gonna give Fritz <laughs> some more stuff to do. Yeah, you got to. You got the Western allies getting ready to invade, so he's like, Well shit, now I know that invasion's coming from France, it's got to. So he's like, Fritz, I'm gonna need you to build a wall. From up in like fucking Norway, all the way down the Atlantic, all the way around France, and down to Spain. And I'm going to need you to go ahead and put like 15,000 bunkers on this thing. When it's done, it's going to be manned by 300,000 soldiers. A lot of this was like, you know, some of it was terrain, you know, where you couldn't land yeah. an invasion force and everything. Um, they would turn any... because his. We talked about this, I think, during the Operation Overlord um, and the D-Day episodes, but Hitler's thought was that it's got to take place at a port. The only way that this Allied invasion can even be successful is if they're able to invade a port, take over that port, and be able to have a constant flow of supplies coming in. And so any of these ports that had port cities along the French coast and everything, they basically had Fritz and his company turn into what they considered like citadels or fortresses. You couldn't invade them. I think we talked about the Dieppe raid or something maybe during Churchill's episode. And it was kind of the, um, it was like an early British invasion to see if they could try to take over like a little port city. And it went really, really badly for him. It was something that Churchill actually got a lot of shit for. I remember something like that, but basically they're like, okay, we're going to refortify all these fortresses. And then this is where you now see, like when you're viewing the Atlantic wall or you're watching a documentary on it, you see those big bunkers built right on the beaches Mm -hmm. overlooking so he basically, again, he's doodling fucking bunkers and telling Fritz, like, I like, I like this one. This one looks good. And it's like, go build it. So. <laughs> Sorry, Adolf, that's not even a shape, man. We
0: can't build it to look like that. But I want it. Make it happen, please. So. I am the <laughs> Who was the point man on the Atlantic wall? We talked about it during the D-Day episodes.
1: Oh, uh. Uh, uh, later on, it was Rommel. It was Rommel. Yeah, so Rommel I'm fought. trying to remember the first guy. I can't remember the first guy's name. I probably should have written that down. But so Fritz and his company, they're building the Atlantic Wall. Like the undertaking of building that thing, it was called Hitler called it Directive 40. But like you want a the wall was six 1,670 miles long, and you somehow have this like weird expectation. He wanted it done in like. I want to say five months, maybe it might've been seven months, 15,000 bunkers in that time frame. I think they ended up getting like 3000 of them built, but you got to understand this is an an insane coastline. And then also he hired this company. There are islands in the English channel that are between Britain and Germany mm-hmm. and France. He took over these islands and he turned them basically into giant fortresses as well. It's like, what do you fucking... Like, they're not going to attack those islands. Like, what do you think the fucking allies are going to do?
0: Best case scenario... We sail
1: around your fucking island or yeah. just sail where you can't shoot at us from it. Uh, Why do we need this tiny piece of land? We're invading fucking France.
0: Best case scenario is you have a ship that gets confused and gets too close and you fire off a couple rounds at
1: it. Like, yeah. it's not... It just shows you how, like, he did not... Somehow he got into power. He had this skill of finding his way into this position, it's King Ralph. He He's in this position, and he thinks because he got into this position that he now knows how to, like, all this about military strategy and how to maintain this position. And the first guy that was put in charge of the Atlantic Wall, at the end of the deadline, he's like, how many bunkers did you build? And he's like, oh, we got, like, 3,000. I think it was, like, it was a quarter of them, so it might have been, like, 6,000. And he's like, yeah, I'm putting Rommel in charge. Rommel had already been beaten in Africa, but Uh he had had that clout and everything. He comes back up. He goes and surveys the entire wall. And he comes back and he's like, are you fucking kidding me? He's like, this does not work. He's like, all of our defenses are like at the fucking beach. Like what happens? Not only are these exposed also to naval fire, Uh but what's behind this? As soon as they get behind this, like you have to have, like all of his military generals are telling him, is like, you have to have defense in depth. Remember when we were talking about the push through Italy and how they had fallen back and had those defensive lines to yeah. like delay them and everything? Uh-huh. That's like defense in depth to try to hold them back, weaken them, and then finally hold them at a line. The way he saw it, he was like, this is like, you have these insane stretches of landable beach. I think he said he went and walked a section of beach. I don't know if it was the Normandy beach. I believe it actually might've been now that I'm thinking about it. He walked it and he's like, this reminds me of where they landed when they invaded like Sicily. Ooh, that's a bad sign. Yeah. He's like, this <laughs> is the same type of terrain and everything that doesn't have a port or anything like that, uh. but this is the same type of like Aryan terrain. So he basically did what he could. And he's like, we need to shore up some shit here. And basically was able to build like smaller positions where he saw weaknesses Still wasn't enough, evidently, because it took the Allies on D-Day hours to end up pushing through that. And yeah, I, in Hitler's defense here,
0: God, I, that's a scary thing to say. Um, if you have D-Day coming and you know there's going to be a massive invasion along there, and you're like, hey, I need this done in nine or in five months. Hitler wanted it done in like two months because he knew the shit that was coming. So he felt probably that five months was a better deadline than
1: his two months. And he didn't go out and survey this himself, right? I don't believe so. He might have gone and looked at sections of it. I know that he made huge deals. This was supposed to be like impenetrable. And the way Uh that they showed in propaganda, it looked that way. There's a a few... Hitler would also design gun batteries, not being an artillery person. He would design and be like, I think it should look like this. And the gun should point this way. And this is what it should look like. So they were literally also building this Atlantic wall. They were scrounging and scrapping and pulling weapons that they had conquered from like the Polish and the, you know, the Czechs and everything and moving it over here to the Atlantic wall to try to use, Everyone uses a different shell. They said it was a logistic nightmare. He's like, what are you sending all of these random assortment of guns here? Like, this one needs this ammo. This one needs this ammo. Like, it was a fucking nightmare, the stupidity of it. Yeah. We're almost just like, this makes no sense whatsoever.
0: So when you couple a, a fast timeline and you couple basically trying to armor it with the spoils that you've won from other sides, there was just no logistical way would you say that if Germany had another six months to a year before D-Day that they could have done it? Or do you think that if it was- someone else would
1: have been put in charge and before the D-Day invasion happened, I think what would have happened is after he put Rommel in charge, Rommel would have went back. And if he's like, I have another six months, okay, I can make this thing a lot better in six months, but he didn't. He just had to try to do stuff. And also going up and trying to tell Hitler his business and being like, you, Like, what are you going to, what are you going to say in that situation? Speaking of that, here's why you don't say anything in those situations. So in February of 1942, while the war in Russia is not going very well, apparently Fritz gets it in his head that he's so indispensable to the Fuhrer. He's got so much, you know, he's done all these things for him. He, he now has the ability to voice his mind to the Hitler, (laughs) to the Hitler, to the, to to Hitler. Hitler. So the Hitler. So he goes and he had a bunker at the Wolf's lair. Like I said, there were all these bunkers for pretty much anyone within his cabinet. They all had like it was his big bunker and then like a bunch of little baby bunkers all around. Was his close? Hmm? Was his close to the Fuhrer's bunker? The uh his was actually like in the second ring or something. Not he wasn't bad. Well, not bad. No. Second ring Hitler? Yeah, not bad at all. But apparently he thought second ring was enough to voice his <laughs> difference of opinion. There's the mistake. (laughs) You're you're not even a first ring guy and you're thinking like that? Not a chance. So he goes to Hitler at the Wolf Slayer and he basically tells him, He's like, I think that the operation in Russia, I think it's it's not going well. I think we need to actually just stop it. I don't think it's going our way. And basically voices his way of saying, like, you fucked up. This, you know, this isn't working. Well, Fritz, after his plane takes off. From the airstrip at the Wolf Slayer, his plane crashes. No. Literally, shortly after takeoff, from after this conversation, here's something that also happened. The guy that succeeds him, Albert Speer. Did you ever hear the name Albert yeah, Speer? Yeah, that sounds very so, familiar. So he's he was like during the last part of the war after 42. The reason he's more well-known than Fritz taught is because he takes over as the Minister of Armaments and Munitions And takes over and absorbs organizational tote. I keep saying tot because that's how I think it's Tote. Organization Tote. And he's now the guy in charge. But because he's the guy in charge during the later portion of the war and everything, he's the guy that everyone kind of uses in that role. Gets all the shine. So Tote dies in this plane crash, yes? Oh yeah. Here's the funny thing about it. It's totally an accident, right? Well, Albert Speer was supposed to be on the plane. And before that, the night before the plane takes off, after the conversation he had with Mm -hmm. Hitler, Speer has a conversation at a meeting with Hitler. And Speer just happens to have stayed up, was too tired, staying up all night, talking to the fear (laughs) the night before that he was going to catch the next plane.
0: He wasn't the kid that fell asleep early at the slumber party. He stayed awake through the Hitler
1: slumber party too Mm -hmm. long. Okay. so, yeah. So I'm not sure how this is even a question that it's not like there's so many things about Hitler that are already known that like what's the harm in saying like there was never any definitive evidence during the investigation. I'm like, well, who did the investigation? They're like, well, since the Nazis were still in, in power, they determined that with their investigation that it was a freak accident. It's like, uh-huh. The- so you're just telling me that the one guy that chose to disagree with Hitler then crashed like the next day and the guy that happened to get his job was supposed to be on the plane but wasn't? I feel like the definitive evidence I smell there is, sauerkraut. Yeah. Here is yeah. what I smell. The definitive evidence was it was Hitler. <laughs> there you go. So another thing that this company did, and I know that I'm just fucking geeking out here about, like, the scale and everything, is kind of going over to the war in the Atlantic, is once they had conquered and occupied France, they now had this insane coastline access. Well, one of the things that was their strength when they were trying to weaken Britain and you know, interrupt shipping and all that because the supply chain was the U-boats. Yeah. Now they have the entire coastline, all these ports in France where now U-boats don't have to come all the way to Germany going past the British Isles mm-hmm. and everything. Now they can dock at these places in France. So um, Tote ends up creating, they built, I think, five or six of these enormous subpens that are still standing today. They're insane to see. They basically are built like on the water, and they just look like giant garages where you could then pull the U-boats in for refit and repair. Yeah. But the scale of these things is fucking just massive. So in this place called Lorient, um, there's like a they chose like a 50 acre site. This one sub pen alone that they built used a quarter of all the concrete used in France during the Nazi occupation. There was a ton of the Atlantic wall in France. This one subpen, that's how fucking big it was. They said the roof on this thing because that's what, after they kind of found and built these subpens, the war in the Atlantic cranked up because the guy that was in charge, I want to say it was like Admiral Donix, Donix, something like that. He was the one that was in charge of the Kriegsmarine U-boat section. He basically, at one point he only had like, I'm not kidding, like 24 U-boats. That were operational in That's the Atlantic. It? Yes. But they were so successful during these wolf pack hunts that during Hitler, he's like, I need more. He was telling Hitler, he's like, I need more U-boats. He's like, show me why these things are useful. Because Hitler thought that battleships, yeah. flagships, capital ships were the way it goes. That's how warfare had always worked. Mm-hmm. During one of these raids, I think this guy in his wolf pack scored like 36 ships sunk during like one operation. 36? 36 merchant ships. Because you got to understand... God they're just constantly going back and forth from the United States to Britain with all these war supplies constantly.
0: So much.
1: Yes. It's insane. He goes back to Hitler and he's like, look what like I'm doing with just what I have. He's like, imagine I could just cut off and choke out Britain completely. And then you don't even have to worry about fighting him. And he's like, fine, you're going to have your u boats So at some point, I think during the peak, they had over 300 U-boats in operation. Makes sense. A lot of U boats, you got to resupply them. So you build this huge fucking sub pen, and it became such a problem with these U boats getting kills and interrupting supply chains that the RAF and then the American bombers, the sub pins were like huge priorities for them. So they were constantly getting bombed. The roofs on these things were like in upwards of like 20 to 30 feet thick with like cavities inside and designed to absorb bomb blasts and everything. There was a direct <laughs> hit. The Brits designed a bunk, uh, Bomb that I think weighed, it wasn't 1,200 pounds. It was, I think, fuck, it was a matter of tons. But it was the largest, one of the largest, like, free drop bombs of the war. They hit this thing with one of them, and it only penetrated, like, the first layer of the roof. Good God. It was undamaged on the inside. None of the operation was. And it was so sophisticated. This is one of the things that I was kind of geeking out about. Is, like, you forget kind of, like, the level of sophistication that was even, like how military drives innovation or how warfare drives innovation. So to get into this pen, it had one entrance. You would drive the U-boat in. It was a dry dock. What would happen is there was a cradle underneath the water. You would drive it in. The water would drain out. It would set it in this cradle. It would then go up a ramp. It would then come out into this giant open courtyard, and all it was, it was on a rail system. Once it got into position, it would then move sideways, and on the other side of this rail station was another set of reinforced bunkers with just nothing but bays. The U-boat would move down the line until it found an empty one, and then it would be pushed into the bay to be refitted, to be repaired, you know any of the damage that it took out on its patrols, mm-hmm. and they even had like think of a fucking like a submarine being on these yeah. tracks. It even had like a lazy susan type thing where <sighs> it could go into a central and it could be rotated, then then move back out.
0: You're building train a train station underwater, basically. It wasn't underwater. It was on land. It pulled it up. I know, but you're and when you say courtyard, all this is still under a roof, right? No, it was exposed. Oh, they were out in the open. Yes. Oh shit. So this
1: is what they were really worried about because they had to get them from here. They said it took them ninety minutes to move a sub once it got out of the courtyard because it's such huge weight. It was moving so slowly. It would take it ninety minutes sometimes to move into these bays and move in. So they're like, we're so fucking vulnerable during this time. Ninety minutes is all day during an air raid. They, but the thing is, is like the thing is still. It took the one hit, and it got to the point where they could not destroy this thing and so they finally decided they'd like bomb the entire city around it flatten the entire <laughs> city of Lorient because if we can interrupt the railways getting to here for supplies if we can turn the populace and not give them a supply of people to work there or anything they basically couldn't take this thing out so it's like we have to scorch earth the entire area around it
0: it kind of makes sense though because if you're working inside of this impenetrable fortress but you're living on the outside of it or the resources have to come in from the outside of it if you clear the way on the outside of it, there's nowhere for them to go, and they're just kind of trapped in their own little area. Mm-hmm. That's uh, I had zero idea that it
1: was that just that much. You that, can still that go day. into and a lot. I think there's six of them, five or six of these huge sub pens. There's five or six of those. Yeah, placed throughout the coast of France. Oh my god! Not not to this scale. Some of them are smaller. But yeah. Even like looking up, there's one in a place called Saint Nazareth. Nazare, Nazare, but it's on the water and it just looks like an insane, like garage that just U boats would pull up and park in. <sighs> wow. And it took them just to build this one. They built it all in 10 months. They started in December 41 and in 10 months it was complete.
0: Do you think the diminishing returns of having so many subs there like it outweighed the effect that they were having on the merchant ships? Because they had too many subs there. Like they had so many subs that it was hard to get them they in and out. They were constantly,
1: they had it down to such a degree. There was a guy that was put in charge because they have to use sometimes, you know, first of all, the people building this, once the war takes over, you know, once the war in Europe kicks off and not, the Nazis start occupying areas, guess mm-hmm. what? You're no longer paying your people or making your people do this. This yeah. is all forced labor at this point. People being captured on the eastern front, being sent over to build all these, you know, giant construction projects. Um, But you don't think the traffic going in and out of these pens... No, because what they were saying is there was enough of them to where they were constantly moving U-boats. U-boats were out on patrols for, you know, quite a while at the time. They also had it to where they could, like, communicate and spread them out between these other ones. So there was constant coming and going of all this stuff. To the point where the only reason why this, you know ended up them not being able to use these anymore is because the allies landed and were able to invade. Oh, Had they stayed, they would have just been cut off. So they had to end up moving, you know, moving back toward Germany and they had to fall back. And at that point, all of the U-boats had either been sunk during the, you know, the allied campaign or were all being pulled back toward Germany for use in defense.
0: So it wasn't a, they weren't points of failure. They just couldn't maintain
1: them because they were on the run. Yep. Gotcha. So they worked. They were successful. They were insanely successful to the point where it was turning, starting to turn the tide in the war. The only thing that put the fucking kibosh to it is because France got invaded time. Yeah. Huh? But it's just like nuts to see these, you know, these French ports that have all these beautiful buildings around. And then you look over to the side and there's just this giant ominous fucking gray concrete fucking beast. Just seeing them be like, remember me, remember what I was used for. But, I mean, even after Fritz Tot, or yeah, uh, Tote died and the company was taken over by Albert Speer, they were constructing underground airplane assembly factories under mountains and everything once, like, the Allied bombing compa- campaign started kicking up and they were able to reach further into Germany. Yeah. So, I mean, any and all that were, like, the major fucking construction projects or they helped build the launch pads for the V1 and V2 rockets that were then launched over to Britain. They were just—they were fucking involved in everything, even yeah. the concentration camps. That's the least surprising, probably. From forty-three to forty-five, they admin— they ruled the administration of all conscript or of all construction of concentration camps because they needed the forced labor. Oh, you need a a new workforce and everything? Well, build all these camps. We got a whole bunch of people to film with, and you can use them and work them to death. And. Just like we talk about with war in Russia, there always seems to be more. Yeah, that's sickeningly efficient. Like, that's a... So, 100% war criminal.
0: Uh Uh-huh, oh yeah. But it's such a a dark thing to think that... Like, from their point of view, they're like, cool, we're going to build these, you guys are going to fill them up, then we're going to use them with all the people that are filling up. But from every other viewpoint on the outside of the Nazis, it's like, you guys built these things with just the intention of using the forced labor that they fill them up with. Mm -hmm. Like, it's such a win for them. Well, not
1: all of them. Some of them were going to gas. Yeah. Yeah. The ones that we, oh, yeah, don't get us wrong. The ones that we're not going to work to death, we'll, we'll definitely gas. They're just not going to stay in the camps for too long. Or maybe they will. We don't know.
0: And we don't know anything about them because that's not our prerogative. Yeah, our prerogative well, is the force labor. Yeah, we just
1: ask for guys, and they just send us people. We don't ask where they come from. We've never <laughs> seen the constant. We, we, oh, when we built them, they didn't tell us what they were going to be used for. Yeah, there were summer chalets. Mm-hmm. There were summer camps. Well, during the time that organizational tote was working or was you know, doing all these projects labor that they were, you know, forcing people to work, 185,000 people died God damn. in these fucking projects. I know like related to the other casualties, the Holocaust just by itself, but like the actual warfare between the allies and them, it's not a huge number, but just to say that like this many people died just doing these construction, like just construction projects.
0: Yeah. 180,000 people is a city. It's a decent-sized city. Yeah. Just of people that died working for them. That's That human cost is insane. And this, was this during
1: Tote's time, or was this after it was taken over? A, com- a combination. Okay. It was a combination. Because you got to think that during the time when Tote first started and everything, until they started capturing mm-hmm. countries, he was using people from Germany. Okay. As soon as they started invading other countries, you know that he was just getting some people. He's like, oh, I see you invaded Poland. Could you use some people from there to, to work on these bunkers? Polish people build great walls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So is there a body count for Germans that perished working for him? It just said a total of 185,000 people.
0: You have to think that before the forced labor prisoners were dying, there were definitely Germans that were conscripted into the construction. Oh, there
1: had to have been like I honestly, man. If you look at the way, if you watch a documentary, I got way too into this documentary called Nazi mega structures or Nazi mega weapons. On well, the history watching channel, this. Yeah. yeah. But every time something would pop up, organization taught, organization taught. I was just like, "Fuck me!" Like if there was like a go-to. To do this, that would be like us saying, well, what was every like tank and like plane built by? They're like, it was all built by Ford. Mm -hmm. Everything was built by Ford. Yeah. Lockheed Martin shows up in a lot of different areas of war for America. So, I mean, these are just the things like, and I don't want to get into the concentration camps. I haven't even decided, man, if we can tackle a Holocaust episode. I don't know if, if we did I don't know if it would be disrespectful to smoke during it. We can't really put ourselves in that shoes. I feel like it's part of history, and it's inevitable that we have to cover it. It's just something that I'm I'm not looking forward to how I'm going to feel during that episode.
0: Yeah, it's going to be tough, but again, it's a story that has to be told, and that's kind of what we do. I feel like we, we handle uncomfortable stuff decently well, and it's something that, has to be talked about because the less it's talked about, the more it's
1: forgotten and the more it's forgotten. That's very true. Okay. You've convinced me closer. It comes back, but yeah, like just the scale of, of what was done during these times and that there was initially just kind of this one guy that worked himself into this position to be kind of like the engineer of the third Reich. Like, you know, after he died and they started fortifying Germany, the tote organization did a lot of the bunkers and the huge gun towers and stuff like that. But, and then the other crazy thing too, is I don't know if there is more, I don't want to say relics, but landmarks can, can you think of a company more responsible for more currently existing still structures and landmarks? Like you walk through France and there are enormous sections of the Siegfried line that are still, yeah, because those are in Germany and, after everything ended, we were like, we're not fucking cleaning that up. There's, you can walk along, you know, sections of the beach. Like you walk, go to Normandy and everything. And you can still see the concrete, huge concrete pillboxes and everything that are overlooking the beach.
0: I I think that that is sort of a blade that cuts both ways because you don't really have the resources after winning a war to go through and erase all that shit. Mm Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I also think if you leave it there and people see it, there's more of an appreciation
1: for what happened. By the time you would have the resources and the time to really address that issue, you're looking at that thing and been like, we should probably leave that there as a reminder. Uh Uh-huh. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I I think only probably besides that, you would say the Romans were the only ones that left as much shit around that's historically relevant. Yeah. And And they were
1: around for a lot fucking longer, too.
0: That's saying something. I don't Tip my cap a lot to the Nazis, but they
1: sure left a lot of different things. They sure knew how to pour a fucking concrete. uh, Yeah. But yeah, like I was saying, just from the death toll and everything, watching those those videos and it even shows footage of them making the bunkers, pouring the concrete, all the steel reinforcement, all that kind of stuff. It's not safe looking. They're literally just dumping concrete down with guys down below it, like shoveling and leveling it out. They didn't have OSHA. No, they didn't. That's what I'm saying is all of these deaths are just like, what did it take for someone just to get hit in the back of the head by a lump of concrete? Go face down into the concrete and been like, leave him.
0: It's that much of the less
1: concrete we have to pour. Yeah, he's part of the bunker now, Hoover Dam style. Oh, man. But yeah, just one of those weird little niche things that if you're, you know... World War II history and everything like that, if you're fucking obsessed with it in the manner that I am, you see these images so often in any type of, like, documentary. You see these structures, and you're just, like... I don't know if you ever think you're, like, well, the Nazis built that, but, like, who? Uh Who with the Nazis built that? So, just thought it was interesting. I know it's not a long episode, but it was enough to entertain you, hopefully, for a little bit.
0: Well, and I think the biggest takeaway, just from the overarching idea of the episode behind the tots, uh, the tot company that was called, uh, organization organization. Yeah. Is that seems like a very, very important role just based on the hand that they had in Nazi construction. That you never think about. But at the same time, the guy that ran the organization was so dispensable to a crazy person like Hitler that, all he did was voice his opinion on something that was very logical. It mm-hmm. wasn't an out-of-the-box idea. You're getting your ass kicked in Russia. Maybe pull back so you don't get completely fucked there. And this guy that played such a huge role in being able to build up the infrastructure of Nazi defense just gets on a plane that magically crashes the day after. Like, that's that's how unimportant he was Think to the Think of most. the message that sent, too. Yeah.
1: Because he's also there at the Wolf Slayer with all of the Nazi brass and top command, all of a sudden, guess what? Guess where the news is coming back to first that fucking Fritz's plane went down. What what was that explosion we heard? Oh, no, did Fritz's plane crash? Oh, crap. (laughs) Albert, you're up. But, like, all of a sudden, had you had any inkling of going to Hitler with any concerns or any type of dissension about what he was planning to do, that fucking ended it uh-huh. right there. Cause he, they looked at that guy and like, this guy builds fucking everything yeah. for this guy. And he fucking just offed him. I'm, I'm a general, but like he, he I know there's someone else getting ready to take my place. Apparently uh-huh. if he was able to shift that guy. So yeah, just an, a crazy fascinating topic, a, a niche topic. I know probably doesn't tickle everyone's fancy, but if you're in world war two, a lot of you people are into. It's why you tune into a history podcast. This is something that hopefully you guys find interesting.
0: Yeah. Very cool. Something that I wouldn't have wrapped my brain around, but listening to it is, uh, it's that question that you don't ask because you don't think to ask it. But once you hear it, you're like, ah, oh, shit, how it all makes sense. Yeah, Yeah. It definitely does.
1: All right, guys. Well, thanks for joining us on another episode and we'll see you next week. Peace. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining us for another episode. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe and like button. Follow us. If you didn't like what you heard, still hit that anyway because we'll probably cover something in the future that you do like. Um, please follow us on our social media. Adam, hit him with it. Well, our Instagram is historically high pod,
0: historically high pod, and we are on Twitter at historically
1: high. That's historically hi. All right. And if you guys want to send in any feedback, suggestions, hit us up on those two, or you can even do it on Gmail. It's podcast at gmail.com. Uh, thanks again. Peace.